frivolous lawsuits. Let's talk about frivolous lawsuits. Let's start with Richard Overton in 1993. He sued Anheuser-Busch for false advertising after he drank a six-pack of Bud Light and the beer failed to produce the visions of beautiful women on Sandy Beach as the advertisement had seen, seemed to suggest. Richard wasn't laughing. He sued for $10,000, claiming that Bud Light's deceptive marketing caused him emotional distress. Poor Richard. He did not receive much mercy from the judge. The trial court threw out the frivolous lawsuit, and the decision was actually upheld at a Michigan Court of Appeals. It actually went to a Court of Appeals. And then there's Lauren Rosenberg, who sued Google. This was for more than $100,000. This was in 2009. And the basis of her lawsuit was that Google Maps advised her to walk along a freeway to get to her destination. And despite the directions being clearly wrong, or at least dangerous, she followed the directions precisely and was hit by a car. But the district court just didn't agree with Lauren and called her suit frivolous and dismissed it. Then there's Roy Pearson. Roy Pearson took a pair of pants. I'm not making this up. Roy Pearson took a pair of, a, a, a pair of pants to the local dry cleaners. You come up here and you try to say that if you think it's so easy. He just took his pants to the dry cleaners for alterations. The dry cleaners inadvertently sent the pants to the wrong direction. The, the location, I'm really messing this up. <laughs> sent it to the wrong location, which is the wrong direction. Uh, the pants were recovered and returned, but he claimed the pants didn't belong to him, even though documentation showed otherwise. Roy Pearson then sued the owners of the dry cleaners for a whopping $67 million in damages. No, I'm not. I'm not kidding. No, it's in the, it's Pearson versus Chung in the Superior Court of the District of Columbia, 2005. It's crazy. And here's what's even crazier about this. Uh, Pearson was actually an administrative law judge at the time of the lawsuit. So... Unsurprisingly, the superior court judge ruled in favor of the dry cleaners. Frivolous lawsuits. Frivolous lawsuits. Frivolous lawsuits like these explain why one Supreme Court justice lamented over America's litigation neurosis. What could be worse than that? Well, when Christians are involved in litigation against other Christians. That's, that's what's worse than that. And that's what our scripture is about today in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 
11. We are in a, a journey through Paul's first letter uh, to the Corinthians. And as we've said, uh, 1 Corinthians has three major sections. Section number one, uh, chapters one through four, Paul talks about unity. That's the major theme. And then in chapters 5 through 15, Paul is basically troubleshooting issues or problems which the church has. It's kind of a Q&A. They have problems. They've inquired about these problems to him, and he's responding to these problems. So these are issues, 5 through 15. And then chapter 16 uh, concludes with instructions, unity, issues, instructions. That's how 1 Corinthians is organized. And so today, we're going to consider one of the issues in this section, 1 Corinthians 5 through 15, chapter 6, deals with the following issue, where should Christians go to resolve their disputes? Where should Christians go to resolve their disputes? And uh, as I read chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, I I want you to be listening for Paul's uh, preference, instruction, counsel, pleading for Christians to seek mediation over litigation. Mediation over litigation. If at all possible, seek mediation over over litigation, and you'll catch why in the title of this message, which I have titled, Don't Wash Your Dirty Clothes in Public, okay? Here's the word of God. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases... Why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. 
You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So can you hear Paul urging mediation over litigation? Can you hear that in these verses? Um, Now, as we consider what Paul has to say, I'm hoping that you have questions. I really do. So some of your questions may be, well, is Paul saying that under no circumstances whatsoever are Christians to utilize the courts of the state? I mean, is that... Pastor, is that what Paul is saying? Or, or, or is, is, so is Paul saying you don't report child abuse if it happens in the church? You know, wh- wh- why, why is litigation cast in a negative light here? What's Paul got against lawyers? Well, you must know, Paul is a lawyer. He's, he's a religious lawyer, but he's a lawyer nonetheless. So, and uh, frankly, too, I'll tell you, my two best sources, I have a lot of commentary friends that walk with me in our message time, but my two best sources for this message came from two lawyers. One of them uh, served as Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court, uh, the late Antonin Scalia. Excellent, excellent uh, uh, lecture, which included Paul's uh, message here in 1 Corinthians 6. And the other uh, lawyer is actually a law professor. His name, uh, and I don't know if he's still alive or not, Robert D. Taylor. Robert D. Taylor. I can share those articles uh, with anyone. Just let me know, and uh, we'll we'll make those available. But very very helpful thinking here in these verses. Um, um, and and some of you may be thinking, well, okay, um, you know, I, I'm not taking anybody to court, much less a Christian. So how is this relevant to me? Well, I'm glad you're not. So, (laughs) but there's an underlying truth that we need to remember about just everyday disputes and everyday disagreements, all right? And that underlying truth concerns Christ's glory our identity in Christ and our ultimate destiny because of Christ. So, so who Christ is and who we are in Christ and our ultimate destiny because of Christ, those factors are weightier than your side of the dispute. I, I want you to let that sink in for just a minute. Because we, when, when we are in a dispute with someone, when we're in a disagreement with someone, we, I, I often get my identity wrapped up in my side and, it, and then it becomes about winning. And these verses say, you know what? There's something more important than your side and that is the glory of Christ. That is your identity in Christ. And that is our ultimate destiny because of Christ. And, and you need to let those factors drive our pursuit of peace, not our drive to win. So, 
So what I want to do this morning, like last week, I want to ask three questions. First, uh, what's the problem? What's the problem here? Let's go back to Paul's world. What's happening in Corinth? Uh, we'll talk about that question. The second is, what's the real problem? <laughs> what's, the, what's really going on here? So there is something broken and fallen that requires the grace of Christ. What is that? And then thirdly, what does Jesus want from us? That's where we're going. What's the problem? What's the real problem? And what does Jesus want? Well, Question number one, what's the problem? Well, the problem is not that believers are having disputes. That's not the problem because believers will have disputes. If you attend a church community long enough, if you get involved in the machinery of church community, if you get connected to people's lives, uh, you should expect times when brothers and sisters will have their relationship strained. And, and to be specific, these disputes do not mean differences of opinion. Rather, in this context, these disputes are about money. It's about real property. So the problem isn't that Christians, you know, are, are barred from having disputes. But Christians will have disputes. It's a sinful, broken, fallen world. Secondly, the, the problem is not that Christians should never, ever utilize the courts. Uh, I mean, that's not what these verses are saying. In the Roman Empire, criminal cases such as murder, rape, high treason, violent offenses, theft, these were handled by the criminal courts. And typically, the governor of the province presided. So in Acts chapter 18... When Paul was in Corinth, Gallio judged because Gallio was the proconsul or the governor of uh, Achaia, that region where Corinth was. And as a Roman citizen, Paul had access to these courts. In fact, if you go to Corinth today, uh, you can see the, what's called the Bema seat upon which Gallio sat for judgment. There it is. Uh, there's another picture on top. There actually used to be a church built on top of that Bema seat where Gallio was uh, years ago in the Byzantine period. Uh, but you can see that today if you go to uh, ancient Corinth. And Paul had access to these courts. So, so these verses cannot be used to justify covering up criminal offenses, child abuse, pastoral malfeasance, and so forth. Um, also, and I'll mention this a little later, these verses don't speak to Christians and non-Christians going to court. They just don't. Uh, they don't answer all of our queries that are reared and raised in these verses. The, these verses don't speak to Christians and corporations, whether faith-based faith or not. Uh, what, what we're going to see is that we need to master the more simpler teachings of the truth. And when we master the simpler teachings, then, then we will trust God for his wisdom and the more complexities of the law. So, so problem is not Christians should never have disputes and 
problem is not that Christians should never ever utilize the courts. The problem in these verses is that believers in the Corinthian church are taking each other to law over matters. They are well equipped to settle themselves. That's the problem. These verses concern the use of secular courts for civil cases between Christians and mainly, as one scholar puts it, uh, small claims. Small claims. Now, I know the minute I say that phrase, someone may ask, well, but what about if the value is $10,001? Well, let's, let's get the spirit here of, of what's happening here. Paul is outraged that brothers and sisters in Christ would take other brothers and sisters in Christ to Rome's secular civil courts to settle small claims disputes. Uh, His his terminology is trivial claims or trivial cases. And he's especially irritated since there are wise, resourceful, competent, spirit-filled believers within the church capable of solving these disputes. And he's outraged by it. Uh, Look at verse 1. Now, the New Testament comes to us by way of the Greek language. In English, you can see that the very first word in uh, the English Standard Version is is the word when. But in the Greek, the very first word is dare. Dare. In other words, how dare you, Paul says. How dare you that one of you should take your dispute to an unrighteous judge instead of one of the saints? Now, that word unrighteous in this context means outside of Christ, outside of the church family. And so, so you know, from Paul's perspective, he's like, are you kidding me? You got to be kidding me. You can't be serious. And in verses 1 through 11, you know Paul's a lawyer here, because in verses 1 through 11, Paul fires off nine questions. Nine questions. Do you not know? Do you not know? Do you not know? And it's really not a question. (laughs) I can't believe you don't know this. You do know this. Now, why, why is his blood pressure up here? Well... I don't know when the last time was you stepped into a courtroom. Uh, For me, the last time, uh, it was when I served jury duty. Uh, um, In my 32 years of living here in Champaign County, I've been summoned four times, and my wife just once. And so I gave the courthouse her cell number and uh, (laughs) said she'd be happy to help out. Um, Seriously, though, you know, I found that in our process... Uh, the county courthouse system is very meaningful to me. It was very well run, organized. It was a very fascinating learning experience too. And, and it, there's, a, there's a sobriety, a gravity of serving as a, a, a member of a jury. And I've sat on a jury and have gone through the entire trial and we went for deliberations and we delivered a just verdict. Uh, and, and, and so during the jury selection and the trial, there is a decorum uh, intended to deliver justice without passion or prejudice. And that's what I experienced in our system, and I deeply appreciate it. That was not this. 
Uh, More than one New Testament scholar noted that for criminal cases, um, (laughs) impartiality in the first century Roman Empire, well, I mean, it was questionable at best. And in civil courts, the system was just downright rigged. Um, For instance, you could only sue someone of your own socioeconomic class or lower. You could never sue someone from an upper socioeconomic class. So upper classes had immunity from the lower classes. That's just the way it was. Uh, Furthermore, bribery was welcomed. I mean, it was welcomed. Uh, Magistrates were partial to status, power, and wealth of either the lawyer or the defendant uh, or the plaintiff or both, you know. Uh, One scholar just said, improper influences made equality before the law unattainable in the Roman Empire. And you can think about Jesus' own criminal case before Pontius Pilate. Was that a fair trial? Furthermore, the notion of judicial decorum in uh, the Corinthian church, just, just, just the decorum of the judicial environment, it was just non-existent. I mean, in our courts, uh, lawyers during a trial might protest to the judge, objection, badgering the witness, or asked and answered. If you said that in Corinth, a judge would likely respond, well, of course. Well, what's your point? So, so lawyers at trial were not expected to hold anything back. And uh, according to one scholar, they used the most unbridled language about his client's adversary or even his friends or relations to the witness. And, and young orators would learn their trade with colorful character assassination. <laughs> and, and now let's talk about venue. So, you know, if you want to get to a courtroom today in our courthouse, you've got to park your car you got to walk all the way across the street to get to the courthouse. you got to stand in line before you go through the metal machines. Once you get there, you've got to walk back to your car because you can't take your cell phone in the courthouse. And then you've got to return to the courthouse, and then you've got to find the right courtroom. And I don't know if you've been into any one of these courtrooms, but, you know, they have a very formal, judicial, impartial feel to it. I don't think too many artists were involved in decorating the rooms with colorful paintings and and it's just kind of you know formal and judicial looking and 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 and, you know once you get in and there's the trial that's going on there's a lot of preparation time for the trial a lot of paper shuffling and attorneys going to the approaching the bench and sitting down and then finally the trial finally starts I just don't find it that entertaining do you it's not entertaining Back then, it was a different story because the trials were held outdoors. So think Urbana Farmer's Market on Saturday morning and you get your organic celery and your organic uh, carrots and uh, 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 free-range eggs. You get those. Hey, there's a trial going on. Let's check it out. And lawyers 
played to the crowds of onlookers. So imagine, you know, Judge Judy mixed in with Jerry Springer along with, uh, you know, WWE professional wrestling. Wow, now that's entertaining. I'd go check that out. So now imagine the litigants of Corinth's outdoor trials being members of the same congregation on Sunday. They sat in the fourth pew and they sang Jesus Christ our living hope and scriptures were recited, communion, offering, the gospel was preached. They would have heard Paul's words, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring, the things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ. Jesus, so that it is written, let no one who boasts uh, uh, boast in the Lord. You hear that on Sunday. You hear that on Sunday. And on Monday, those same brothers who sat three people apart in the house church are duking it out on Main Street. That was what was going on. And Paul says, listen to me. How we treat one another anywhere does not go unnoticed by the world. And Paul says it would be better for you to suffer wrong than for you to participate in the Corinthian legal circus show. So so again, Paul doesn't fault them for having disputes. He faults them for where they take them. Verse four. So if you have such cases, again, trivial cases, why do you you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother. And that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But but you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. And here Paul tells us what the real problem is. Here's the real problem. Reliance on the wrong realm. Reliance on the wrong realm. They are relying on the ways of the world instead of the Spirit's wisdom. So so in these verses, Paul Paul reminds us something about the nature of litigation. Um, And this is where Antonine Scalia is helpful. He, Antonin Scalia once said that litigation is a breakdown of amity and accommodation. Another law professor, Robert Taylor, 
he said that, that litigation is a form of regulated warfare. He said, though controlled and concealed in a highly stylized ritual, it nevertheless remains a form of combat. It, it is a fist wrapped in a judicial robe. That's a, that's a law professor teaching a course on the spiritual dimensions of law in law school. I, isn't that fascinating? He says, people, why do people litigate? People litigate to win. That's, that's why they litigate. So the courtroom is by nature adversarial. That's what it is. Someone's going to win and someone's going to lose. And that's why Taylor says that often, often, litigation ruptures relationships. That's the deal. Uh, one judge was fond of telling lawyers, we only sue one another because we are strangers to and among one another. And Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 6 is these folks that you're hauling into court for your trivial claims, they're, they're not strangers. You worship with them. And Paul's beef is that the Corinthians are passionately pursuing wisdom outside the realm of the Holy Spirit. And they, they have bought into such worldly Corinthian competition that brothers in Christ have become adversaries. And their drive to win shows that they're no different from the world. And the world is described in verses 9 and 10. That's why Paul has this um, catalog of vices. These, these are the unrighteous in verses 9 and 10. The, in verses 9 and 10 represent Corinth, represents a realm which complies with the way of this world. Paul says, why are you letting spiritual zombies try your trivial cases in public? I don't get it. No wonder Robert Taylor goes on to say, litigation is a species of worldly dirt. Soil that should not stain the pristine faith community. He's talking about us here. And thus render its witness unpersuasive. Litigation is limited because while it can affect your pocketbook, it cannot change the heart. And you might still win in court, but then you end up, you lose the relationship. If you win, you're smug. If you lose, you, make, you could become embittered. And how many judges have seen the same litigants in the same courtroom over the same issue over the years? Paul says, look, Corinth will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then Paul says this, oh, this is beautiful. And such were some of you. So some of you used to be participants in verses 9 and 10. But you left that life. Rather, Jesus called you out of that life. He rescued you out of that life. And that's what takes us to question number three. What Jesus wants. Here's what Jesus wants. 
Jesus wants us acting like who we are instead of living like who we were. These verses urge us to become who we are instead of behave like who we were. Well, who are we? Verse 11, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So Paul reminds them of their baptism. Can you hear the baptismal liturgy here? You're washed. And your washing demonstrates a change of realm. You left the way of the world. You have entered the spirit of Christ. You went from unjustified to justified. You were once unsanctified, but now you're sanctified. You've been declared holy, set apart. This is who you are, Paul says in verse 11. Right here, right now. You're an heir of a coming kingdom. And so Paul is calling us to remind us daily the reality of our baptism. Listen, my wedding ring signifies that I belong to Sarah Jane Engel Boltinghouse. It signifies a reality. The reality is I am a married man. Now, my calling is to live like one, act like a married man, talk like a married man, set boundaries like a married man. We used to be of Corinth, now we are of Christ. We used to be trained by the media to think of ourselves as consumers, but now we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We used to think of ourselves as customers, now we're servants. We used to think of ourselves as competitors, but now we are brothers and sisters in the family of God. Our baptism reminds us what Paul is telling us in this entire section. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. We belong to God. Now let's live like we belong to him. Let's act like we belong to him. Let's treat others like we belong to him. Amen? That's the word here. And so, you know, when it comes to disagreements and disputes... In many situations, I'm not saying all, but in many situations, the best way to resolve a dispute or a conflict or disagreement is to choose to overlook the trivial offenses of others. Proverbs 19.11. Good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. <laughs> Your marriage will improve by 50% in the next 30 minutes if you will just remember this. It will. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul says, love does not count up wrongdoing. Love doesn't keep score, brothers and sisters. And when we overlook the wrongs of others. We, we live in the realm of the spirit. O overlooking is not a passive aggressive process. No, no, no. It's not passive. It's not a passive situation in which you simply remain silent for the moment but then file away the offense for later use against someone. 
Instead, overlooking is an active process fueled by mercy in the realm of the Spirit in which you deliberately decide not to talk about it, dwell on it, or let it grow into pent-up bitterness. Just let it go. Just let it go. And when we do need mediators, when we do need mediators, and there, will be, there are times when we need mediators, Paul is telling us to seek spiritual wisdom within the church family. Once more, listen to Antonine Scalia. Paul says that mediation of a mutual friend should be sought before parties run off to law courts. The, the, the courts should be undertaken only as a last resort, and even then in sorrow. Any judge can tell you of embittered litigants who over the years have sued repeatedly over the same manner and the obsession with getting the adversary has destroyed all perspective and consumed all human kindness. Judges can also tell you of brothers and sisters, biological brothers and sisters, permanently estranged by litigation over a will or or once friendly neighbors living in undying enmity because of a a minor boundary dispute that is in financial terms trivial. You know, whatever the legal rights and wrongs of such matters, the results aren't worth it. So, so you hear what he's saying? When you need to settle the dispute, go to a garden, not a boxing ring. Mediate, don't litigate. Talk to sages, not scrappers. You know, we, we deceive ourselves when we think that we are better off with unregenerate verdicts over spirit-filled advice. Paul says, don't be deceived. What does that mean? It means don't be a sucker. Don't be a sucker. Well, brothers and sisters, I want our spiritual maturity to grow such that we are undeceivable. Undeceivable. And nobody wins when we pursue the ways of the world. Uh, in litigation, you don't know what the verdict's going to be. But because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we already know what the ultimate verdict is. We will judge angels. The secular courts may garnish your possessions, but not your eternal destination. So can you imagine a church community where the Spirit of God indwells a body of people to the degree, listen to me, listen to me, that our community comes to us and not the courthouse. Think about that for just a minute. Can you imagine a ministry to our community led by spirit-filled men and women who embody James chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Do you think our community needs that today? With the gun violence and the cultural divisiveness, do you think our community needs a garden of mediation 
Wouldn't it be God glorifying if our community saw this church family and utilized this church family as a resource for mediation and conflict resolution where, where they came here? And when people say, why do you do this? We say with James, because peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. We say this because Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. That's why we do this. That's what it means to passionately pursue Christ. Mediate. Don't litigate. And these verses are about litigation between Christians on trivial matters. As I said earlier, some of you may ask, well, what about Christians and non-Christians? And what about litigation against corporations and governments and municipalities and suits on behalf of third? You know what? Paul, Paul does not address these com- those complex issues. And those are complex issues. And, and so the lesson for us is let's master what we know and then pray that God will give us the wisdom to build on that foundation. And if you're a lawyer, don't throw away your law d- degree. No, I mean that. Uh, this is like, well, as Randy is like, what's he got against lawyers? I don't have anything against lawyers. Okay. So we need spirit-filled lawyers who have the wisdom to know the cases that they need to take and the cases that their conscience doesn't allow them to take. See. Here's the simple truth. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Honor God with your body. Our identity in Christ allows us, here it is. This is, this is tough. Because it's like, are you saying, you may, I may, I have, this, this may cost my pocketbook. Yeah, I know that. That's what Paul is saying. And this only makes sense if you have nothing to lose. That is, if suffering wrong is not an ultimate threat to you. If if being defrauded is not an ultimate loss to you. So, So suffering wrong and being defrauded are not ultimate grievances because Jesus Christ bore the ultimate grievance in our place. He endured the wrong that we ought to have endured. He was defrauded of what was rightfully his to give us what we could never earn. And if Christ absorbed all our wrongs, if he absorbed all our attacks, if he absorbed all our rejection, then when others do the same to us, we can practice gospel memory. Gospel memory. Instead of gospel amnesia. And that will give us the resources to absorb the blows of others. And that's what forgiveness is about. Suffering wrong and being defrauded are not the ultimate grievances because Christ has already paid for that. He himself is our peace. And he has given us so much grace. You will never be able to use up all of the grace that Christ has given to you. You won't. You won't. What do I do with the surplus? Share it. Share it. Because grace changes everything. 
Amen.